Thought-provoking? No question. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. And on Wednesdays at this time, traditionally, we feature Left, Right, and Center, which is a discussion of uh, political issues or just issues of the day um, with uh, people representing different parts on the political spectrum. Not necessarily hard left or hard right. Sometimes they're all over the map, too, depending on the uh, topic, and we like that because it's all about stimulating ourselves and thinking about the issues out there. Joining us today are the two gentlemen who uh, began this program with us, and it's always a treat to have them back together, Bob Metz and Jim. Jeff Slummer. Hello. I would like this morning to prevail upon your, uh, you two fellas, to put your prognosticating caps on for me, if you would. I want to take a look at Canada five, six years from now, and I want to ask you guys whether you think we are going to see any significant change in the way this country is run. And I'm talking particularly about the Liberal government. Um, it's no secret that I've uh, gone after liberal politicians, but I've gone after Tory politicians. If, if you know, if I have a problem with what they're doing, I talk about it. The the uh, the national government in Canada is the liberal government, so we do spend an inordinate, perhaps, amount of time talking about them. But that's sort of unavoidable, given that uh, they're dominating presence on the political scene. But we have a situation now where we have a prime minister who has an iron grip on the country for good or ill. Um, he has at least two pretty solid uh, uh, contenders, if not pretenders, to his throne if he does decide to step away. It doesn't seem that there'll be any kind of a leadership vacuum at, at, the, uh, at the national level, whether it's Paul Martin or, or, at this point, John Manley. It seems that they both are in fairly strong positions to take over. We look at the uh, the so-called right, although sometimes they complain about us doing that, lumping them together, but the alliance and the and the progressive conservative party who still seem to be circling each other rather warily. There are still key elements in both of those parties who do not see any interest or any value in, in uh, consolidating to oppose the uh, Liberal government. There are certainly elements within both those parties that recognize that, that something has to happen. There has to be some kind of a uh, cohesive opposition to, uh, to the Liberals, or they are going to govern us into the next century, as somebody said to me the other day. So I want to ask both of you guys what you think of this situation and, and what does it bode for the future? Do you think that the, uh, the liberals will remain unassailable? And it seems now that, you know, I talk to people about this and, and, uh, and I complain when they do think today this infra infrastructure shifting the funds, which I, you know, I think is just a terrible thing. I think there was a solid opposition. This is the kind of issue that would catalyze the country. Nobody's saying anything about it and I don't think they will because everybody knows that there's no... There appears to be no workable alternative. Let me put it that way. And I'll hear from all my friends on the right now saying, oh, you're wrong. Uh, Joe Clark can do it. You know, the reality is, today as we sit here, there appears to be no viable alternative. So, Jeff, I want to start with you. And, and, and I'm not looking for... Uh, 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 I'm not here to attack the government or to defend the government. Just kind of take a look down the pike. And wh What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think we will continue to see the party or to see the country ruled by this large center conglomerate and, and both the left and right kind of fractured around it? Well, uh, we won't always have that. Uh, I guess we may tend to have that just because I think that, it, that the Liberals, for one thing, the Liberals are a party who, who firmly say that they're not an ideological party, that they're a party of polls, 
that effectively they just try and give us what we say we want. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been a pretty successful formula. But on the other hand, I remember uh, reading an article in McLean's that I th I'm trying to think of when it was, but sort of the mid-80s, I think. Uh, and the big headline was, Is the Liberal Party Dead? At that time, it had just been wiped out, mm -hmm. and uh, the prediction was it will never come back again. Uh, and, and obviously that was a, a premature obituary. Uh, what's going to happen, and it's just a question of when, is that the current leaders of the alliance and the, uh, and the cons conservatives are going to finally get out of the way and let some young people in there who are going to work out some kind of a compromise uh, and put together some kind of a platform that is, that is a, a legitimate alternative, albeit ostensibly somewhat to the right of the Liberals, but close enough so that people will switch over to them um, because they will get sick of the Liberals uh, like they always do. And I, I always remember this old editor at the Free Press uh, telling me, he said, you know, people don't vote in new governments, they vote out old ones they're sick of. So that's going to happen, and all the, all the Alliance and Conservatives have to do is give them the slightest excuse to do that, and then they will. But it, you, you talk about stepping aside for young leaders. It doesn't appear, though. I mean, that doesn't seem to be the, in the cards for the immediate future. Stockwell Day is back in the race again as the for the leader of the alliance, and I said earlier today, I think he's going to win. I think they're going to reselect him. The, the core alliance supporters who are left, I think, are going to vote him the leader again. Joe Clark still harbors uh, this delusion in my mind that he's going to be prime minister again, and he doesn't appear to be in any hurry to step aside, nor is anybody pushing him. Uh, so how long are we going to have to wait for that? And Bob, I'll maybe shift to you. If you do, you do you buy into Jeff's analysis? And if so, how long is it going to take? Well, I, I agree that the voter is sort of stuck with voting for the lesser of a given number of evils. But as long as the comfort level of the electorate remains as it is, I don't see any change in government. And government has been growing unabatedly for decades now. Mm -hmm. Taxes go up. They take taxes combined is the greatest single expense any individual has in his personal lifetime, mm -hmm. greater than his living expenses, mm -hmm. greater than his commitment, greater than his mortgages, greater than everything. That's how much of our money goes to government. That was not what this country was designed to be. You know, there was a time when 5 or 10% total tax rate was considered outrageous mm -hmm. if government took that much. But we've bought into this socialist uh, philosophy, and I hate to say it, but the PCs and the Alliance and Harris's, Harris's PCs as well, they all buy into it. And as long as they do, the future is going to be a pattern of what we've constantly seen. Fewer services for, for more money, higher taxes, people having to jump the queue by going to the states to get their health care, and you're just going to see more and more of that. But you, um, you, you did say a minute or two ago about the sort of the public level of acceptance, and the public does seem to be relatively satisfied yeah, with the way things are. because are. it's not affecting enough of them yet. You know, the action's always on the fringe, uh, even during the Depression. We still had over 80% employment, you know, so you're always talking about uh, a fraction of people who are affected by major events that we all sort of take on ourselves mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but that's the issue, is that, that as long as the, the, the mass majority are fairly content with their lifestyle, you know, on the private, if I was talking about the private market right now, I'd tell you the future looks kind of bright. Technology is always moving up. Computers mm -hmm. get faster every three months, and that puts tremendous power in the hands of individuals, both to earn income and to avoid government. So, you know, th there's this almost two two directions going here. I, th I see a development of a great black market coming another in Canada. Sorry, another thing that, uh, that underground market people need to bear in mind in this case is that uh, as far as um, people who do have influence in this country, and as far as big business goes and so on, uh, there isn't really. Um, 
any particular dissatisfaction with any of, any of the parties. I think that, except the NDP, they could they can be perfectly happy with the Liberal government. And uh, the Liberal Party, it's sometimes useful to to remember, always gets more donations, corporate donations. Uh, always than the PCs get, mm-hmm. always get more than the Alliance get. So some people, I think, have the idea that the liberal is, liberals are sort of the leftish party somehow and that, that they would not be supported by big business and all that stuff. That's not what they are at all. Uh, so from the standpoint of big business, they can do business under liberals. They can they can do that just fine. And we see that uh, they get the big subsidies and stuff like that. Uh, they can do business with the PCs. They can probably do business with the Alliance. They, they might even be, and I don't know, but it's conceivable that some of them may say we're a little more comfortable with the PCs and the liberals because they're a known quantity mm. and that what we like in business is certainty uh, for planning. But uh, that's the other thing is that there's no great hue and cry from uh, from the elite of this country saying it's bad to have the Liberals in government. They can work with them. So we've got this 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 sort of a, a symbiotic, we're not symbiotic, we've got this connection between the, the supposed governing elites, whether they're b- political or business elites, and the average Canadian who is also not particularly dissatisfied. B- Bob, you talked about the fringes before. How mm-hmm. big are how big are the fringes, the disaffected fringes? It depends on, on the issue. I mean, you could if you're talking about abortion, you're probably talking about a fairly large percentage of women. If you're talking about the economy, you're probably talking about uh, a certain percentage of business people. Um, you know, every year or every month, in fact, I don't know how many bankruptcies there are in a given month. And you can see, you know, you figure, wow, you, I didn't know there were that many businesses <laughs> in existence. Mm-hmm. And, and yet that's just a tiny fringe of how many businesses there actually are out there. But as far as looking for, for a change in the direction of government, you know, the great thing that I see that's going to hurt our country if we keep going in the direction is that we're going to start losing our ability to retain capital. And capital is what makes you productive. Capital is what makes labor worth the money that but it can be worth. Wh- why you know? would capital leave if, as Jeff um, says, there's a sense of certainty, the business has a sense of or certitude about the, about the government? Well, I don't think business has that sense. That's, that's Jeff's opinion. Um, well, it's I, also I, the opinion of the automakers. There's now more cars made in Ontario every year than in Michigan. Uh, there, there are lots of big business organizations that are quite happy with Canada. We've seen massive well, amounts of Well, you know why I think there's a little growing Canada investment the there? Our big complaint is not so much that people won't invest in Canada. It's that there's too much com- well, investment going on. There's too much foreign investment coming into Canada. I would say that so that part is caused so weak. because of things like, like free trade agreements, where an agreement is taken by two countries not to interfere mm-hmm. for a given period of time, and that does create stability in the economy. Yeah. They like that, but having said that, though, Canada is also a very competitive place to do business because our dollar is so weak, among other things, and also they have regulators who are sympathetic to a lot of their issues. Uh, it's not but, a but that's not a good business. thing for Canada, though. That's great yeah. for them, but not for us. Well, right. people don't understand, to this issue, and I asked both of you guys, neither one of you are economists, but I'm going to ask you, what is the significance of the low Canadian dollar? I mean, we hear about it... It means we, that we are trapped in our own country. The, the like, a Soviet, like a Soviet like a Soviet citizen who couldn't leave his country, even if he took all the rubles he saved in his life because it wouldn't buy him a week's worth of living in, in anywhere outside. Yeah, but the average but, Canadian's not going to leave for more than a, a week or two a year. But if we that. trade. We trade. All no, it has, it has no significance uh, at the end of the day. It's just a state of where things are at, and we can uh, we can change what we call our dollar tomorrow if we want. But uh, I was interested... Listen, uh, if you have thousands of dollars in the bank... I just this thought before I forget <laughs> it. A couple of weeks ago, they were talking about how, you know, we always compare ourselves to the American dollar, but in the last three years, the Canadian dollar has gone up by 30% compared 
compared to the euro and by over 15% compared to the Japanese yen and has actually it, it performed better than virtually any other currency in the world except the American dollar. The American dollar is the anomaly that's been extremely strong this last decade. So if you compare yourself to that, you say we're not as good as those, but we're better than everybody else in the whole world that we compete with. So what's the problem at the end of the day? Uh, uh, from well, an economic standpoint, my, my economics 101 was the idea is that uh, theoretically the economy mm -hmm. regulates itself with our dollar getting low enough. We become extremely competitive in trading because we can sell things way cheaper than they do in the States. And I'm going to Florida in two weeks and I can tell you that when I was there three times last year, my experience was, if you go into a Burger King there, the prices are all the same. But in American dollars. Here, but in American That's dollars. Right. That's right. So, yes, so they, to you, they as may a Canadian, be making it's more money, but they're spending a lot more. And one thing that I don't understand is it's also true of imported goods in the United States. Somehow, when they come to the States, they mark them up a lot more than when they come to Canada. If you buy a cell phone in the States, again, the price is the same as what it is here, except it's in American dollars, but it's made in Finland. So, so there's something weird going on there. Well, there's another there's another anomaly, and that's the in the automotive industry. We our automobiles here, particularly our high end automobiles, are significantly less money than in the United States because they tell us the automakers say or the analysts say because Canadians will not pay the amount of money that Americans will pay for their automobiles, and the and the automakers deliberately underprice their automobiles relative to the United States for us here in Canada. Well, look at prescription prescription drugs in the states too. You know, it's just been scandal all over the place down there, but what the drug companies charge for drugs there, they're way, way more than what they charge here. And, and they say, and this was a big issue in the last election, you may recall, uh, you've got all the border governors saying our old our old seniors are all going to Canada for their prescriptions because it's way cheaper to buy here. And apparently the reason is that the government negotiates with the drug companies as to how much they're going to pay through Medicare or whatever it is. In the States, they don't have that. So again, the same tablet down there is going to cost double what it is here. So, it's like, yeah, the dollar's stronger, but the, everything costs more. Is there standard You've got to realize it's also an better? issue of supply and demand, as always. In places where there are more people, there's going to be a greater demand. Where you know, And if there's only a fixed number of producers of something, you're going to see that variance. Yeah. But with, the, with respect to the dollar and its relative value to the American dollar, that depends who you are, whether you're a winner or a loser. A oh, low sure. dollar is very beneficial to exporters. Mm -hmm. It's very not beneficial to importers who want to sell foreign products here and have to mark them up from what they would be. Yeah. So, you know, there's winners and losers. Well, it's bad, for, it's bad for capitalists, too, in the sense that if you've got a Canadian dollar and it keeps getting worth less and less, then your relative wealth is going down vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. Absolutely, and that's exactly... Like, when I was in the banking industry back in the 70s, the Canadian dollar always stood at about a dollar five U.S. That was, we were five cents more, and that didn't hurt our trade, and it didn't do everything, but it gave us the second highest standard of living in the world. And now what has happened is our dollar is worth half of that because of incredible government spending that was unprecedented when the Trudeau years came in and has never abated since. And, that's, remember, uh, and so we suffer our complete standard of living. You know, it's, it's hard to say... Well, our standard that of living is no worse than it, than it was then. Uh, no, but it's no better either, and it yeah. should have been infinitely better. Well, but it better. isn't anywhere else either, but... Uh, because they're all doing the same thing, back in 1970, thing, by, by, uh, I remember a, a motor trend in those days. You could buy a Pinto for 2000 bucks, and it's great now to be old enough that I can tell my kids, the old days, you know, you <laughs> kids nowadays, <laughs> you wouldn't believe I bought my first car, first car for $300. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but at the end of the day, though... You can still uh, buy a car as, for 2000 As much as I'm bucks. the first one to complain <laughs> about things in Canada and things in Ontario today, uh, you know, the problem is, at the end of the day, you look about whether it should be the Liberals or somebody else running it, whether a dollar should be worth more or less, this is a good time to be living in Canada. We're on that uh, cheerful note, we're going to pause for just a second. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us today on Left, Right and Center on 1290 CJBK. We've got some important messages coming your way, and we'll be right back. This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens.
Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz with us today, and we're discussing the future of this country and where we might be going. We talked a little bit about economics. We talked about the Liberal Party, and uh, Jeff referred to them as the Party of Poles, uh, P-O-L-L-S. Jim, I'd like to address a, a point that Jeff made just as we went to the commercial mm-hmm. there. Um, where, where he's talking, you, you said we left on a cheerful note, and Jeff telling us how comfortable he feels and nice in Canada. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the point. I think I can feel comfortable and, and nice about living in Canada too. That's probably why I live here. Mm-hmm. But the point is, does that justify the government taking more than half of our earnings away maybe, from us? Maybe it does. Um, if they give us value for the dollar. That's fine by but me. That's, but they're not. We know that's not the well, case. That's the we know we that. Have. Well. It's not the debate. The debate is, do you have a right to your money, or does someone else have a right to it? Do you have a right to your life, or does someone else have a right to it? I always argue that your life is yours, your money is yours, and no one else has a right to it, even if they form yeah. a group, or a democracy, well, or a gang, If I, if I want someone to plow whatever. my street, I expect to pay them, and whether I pay it through City that's Hall, a, or whether a, I pay it to a private person, perfect, I'll take the best deal I can get. That's a perfectly so, legitimate thing yeah. in a free market, where we, we you have to be free, and yeah. you have to exercise your rights to be able to make those choices. We don't ask for things for nothing. We realize everything has a cost. But the other thing that strikes I would me about Put a cent into taxes. a convention center or I, I, I an art gallery you, I, or well, a library, you know, I, not, not I did, if someone asked me. Yeah, well, I, I did should get your take on, on something else which has struck me, though, is that so much of the tax debate centers only around income tax. It centers around progressive taxation. You never anymore seem to hear talk about we should lower sales tax, we should lower GST, fixed taxes. It's always progressive taxes that should be cut. And the, and the, the reality is that by cutting a progressive tax, you're taking away or you're, you're, you're taking away or however you want to structure it, saying people who have high income do better out of that than people with moderate income because it's progressive. But but does that inherently make it wrong? I mean, I certainly hear that argument. They say, you know, if if we do away with that, if we had a flat tax, for example, the rich people are going to benefit more than the other people. And it's always said as though that's a justification for not... That's another issue, and that's what I'm saying, is that we always frame uh, tax cuts, or at least when I hear tax cuts, it's about everybody's going to benefit, but we don't hear the debate about, not that this kind of tax cut, this kind of tax cut will benefit wealthy people more, and if that's the case, we should have that debate, and the government should say, we're going to reduce this tax, it's going to have the effect of reducing tax more for wealthy people. We think that's appropriate, because there should be a flat tax. Wealthy people shouldn't pay a higher percentage of their income. But we they're, sh- never, we be they're never brave enough to come out and say that. They always try and clothe it in all of us. You and know and that changes the debate, because I am with you if we want to talk about whether we would like to have a particular service provided publicly or pr- privately. I'm saying, show me the numbers. You know, If you can show me that it's better private, then I'm there. So, so if I can show you it's better debate. public, you'd be perfectly willing to debate, violate some people's rights. But the second debate, though, right? is, is a question... The second debate, though, is a question of whether it should be progressive taxes that are cut, because that then gets into the whole issue about whether or not they should be more of a cut for wealthy people work. than poor people. And that's where I get into a problem, because then it's like, well, that gets into not issues about value for money. That gets into, into issues about if you uh, want redistributing to income I mean, in our society. Well, Bob, isn't, isn't, that's a fancy word for stealing. Uh, Bob, isn't there a problem here, though? I mean, you're talking about the infringement of people's rights, but you're talking about the infringement of what you consider important rights to you. Obviously. No, great, uh, no I, ob- think obviously, so. I think they're very well, objective, obviously, and I can argue them on objective and, grounds. And, and we can do that, but there are a lot of people who would reject your arguments. Who, who, obviously, who, who, because who, who they was, want either power or they want somebody else's money without having to earn it. Yeah. Or that, That's always the motivation. Or they want to get paid for doing a service. I've never, ever, ever seen a different motivation for those for, for people who argue those philosophical well, lines I have, of reason. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about the people who are arguing. I'm talking about the people who don't even think about it. The people what, who want out of life, they want life to be peaceful, relatively tranquil. They want their roads uh, plowed. Well, what you and don't they, know they want, they, they, you. They, well, I, And I, high taxes and ever-increasing government, we've seen the demonstration of that in history over and over and over and over again. It always collapses at some point. You know, I see the balkanization of Canada coming. I mean, that's that's what it has to come. Yeah, but that's more poli- uh, wouldn't you, that's more political than well, economic. Well, that was where we started off with it, with the show. Like, where you, are we you going? Don't, you don't mean Quebec, government. though. You mean something more than that, right? 
Oh, I mean the whole country, right. you know, or, or in, in various ways. But yeah. most importantly, if you want to live in a country with wealth and most evenly distributed amongst the people, that's a capitalist country. And you have to allow the rich to accumulate as much capital as possible because capital is what gets invested into the machinery and the yeah. technology that yeah. lets but the lowest the guy have, on the so totem pole become very productive. It's not a question, of whether, it's a question yes, it of whether we should have an aristocracy taxing, and our wealthy people should have all the money or not. Every dollar of tax that's destroys a dollar to. of capital. So uh, it well, works twice against you. Everybody's and that's why got ideological slogans that they can throw this out. This is not but at ideological. The end of the day, though, well, it is. And, and it's, it's good. But it's tied to reality. Well, okay, I want to bring this back. If you're honest enough to say it, at least, you say the wealthy people should have a lot more money. And we're, 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 what, well, what bothers me is the politicians won't say that when they achieve that because result. Because they're appealing to people like you. I know. Who they know are money-grubbing. we get money fooled by them. I hate get it. money from other people. <laughs> so they have to tell you what you want to hear so you'll vote for them. You can never be a politician. But I want to come back to where we started then. We've been talking about potential for tax reform and so on, but the reality is that uh, obviously most Canadians just aren't interested in those debates. They just don't care. And I'll I give, disagree. I will tell you that most Canadians aren't aware of the debates, well, as I wasn't yeah, until I became aware of it. They, they can inform themselves, you know, if you if you want not to know. Really. It's not, not easy to find out the Well, I'm not saying debate. it's easy, but you can do it. Yeah, but I, I put it to you that most, I mean, I talk to people every day, that's my job, both on and off the air, and most of the people I talk to, even the ones who are politically aligned with one party or another, the bottom line for them is I don't want my life complicated. I don't want problems. I don't want trouble. Are my kids in a decent school? Meh, generally speaking, yeah. Do I have health care? Well, it's not as good as I'd like it to be, but yeah, there's still, there's, we still got a few doctors left. Uh, can I survive after I pay my tax bill? Yeah, I bought a new car last year, and uh, we have roast beef every Saturday. Well, That's what they want. I fear for the really future of talk radio. We're all like, yes. I've been down into the Caribbean <laughs> and into some of those poor countries. They talk the same way. And they're way worse off than we are. So but that, they, to me, is not an argument for going in that but direction. But they're not getting what we've got. I mean, that's the crucial difference. Well, that's difference. what's going to happen with us, but too. The other thing what, is when what, you what, step why off are you on the air every day complaining about not getting enough funding for the doctors? The doctors are leaving the hospitals. The hospitals are underfunded. The nurses are overworked. What do you but think those are causing details. all that? Well, nobody's saying it's perfect. Oh, We're man. saying, broadly speaking, Canada's going in the right direction, and these are details we need to work out. Well, I'm, not, we no, I'm not convinced it's going in the right direction, but, I'm, no, what, but what I'm saying is it's going in a direction that seems to be supported by a majority of its citizens. We're... we're we're, we're so you talk about Canada. Canada is no, 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 the fundamental issue. The is the you believe are, in individual like rights Canada. and individual responsibilities, or do you believe in collective rights and collective responsibilities? Well, apparently, most more, or more Canadians believe in collective rights it's than correct. individual and rights. Correct, and that has a consequence, whether you understand it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether yeah, you think about it. No, it does not. It, oh, for a period we, of time, as long as there is a balance. We live in a mixed economy. It's not one way or the other. And the thing that supports the economy is capitalism. Every other system is a parasite on capitalism. The thing that supports the economy is you and I getting up and going to work in the morning, and everybody else. That's, what, that's the work product that no, keeps no, us no, all no. going. If you didn't have the freedom to get up and go to work in the morning, you wouldn't have... But nobody's talking about taking that freedom away from sure they, they're, are. they're going to take some the other freedoms away again. from us. Your freedom to work as a post office worker, if you don't want to work for Canada Post, if you want to be your own post postal carrier, you can Or to can't. work for Microsoft That's if you don't like Bill law. Gates. It's the same deal. That's, <laughs> you know, true. You can't, That's true. You can't start up your own radio station or TV station even if the frequency is clear. You have to go to the government for permission. Well, you don't have that like freedom. So, so but how many people want to do Our frequencies would be jammed. But do we as consumers, do I want to have to pick from 38 
38 different postal companies, 37 of which might be it bankrupt tomorrow or way. might not be bankrupt tomorrow? Well, then you stick with what you know and what you have. If somebody which most competes, people do. You know, since the deregulation of phone companies, I think we've switched our phones maybe eight or nine times, and every time we get a better deal, and we've never had a problem. So I don't know why it. people assume that that's going to happen. But The problem you know? is that we know where we are right now, and we say, well, i got some problems, but broadly speaking, I, I like where I'm living. The problem is if we step off this stepping stone, it's a question of, where are we going from there, and is it going to be worse? And I think that's a fear a lot of people have. They say, why rock the boat if it ain't too bad? And is that is that part of why the, the liberals are so strong? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> yeah, so. You don't and have to rock a sinking boat. The liberals boat, are the first ones under. to say, look, you know, we want to appeal to everybody. You want a big tax cut? Here's $100 billion in tax cuts. You know, you want to increase CPP? Uh, that's old people get. Here's 3% increase. It's a little something for everybody. It keeps us all more or less sort of happy. And we get on with our lives, and we live our lives. Our lives are not about government. Our lives are about the people we know. They're about the things we do. And the government largely stays out of our way so we can do that stuff. I'm sure the people in Germany were talking just like you before Adolf took over. I mean, that's exactly well, the that's attitude nonsense. that was prevalent. Germans were very no, comfortable with their social system. The end of a horrible system. crushing war. They, they, it was impossible reparations that couldn't be paid. The national psyche was absolutely devastated and wiped out. They were not happy with their lot. The Germans were in a mo- monstrous but Germany funk. Was, that's why Hitler got some traction. But don't forget, World War II was almost a continuation of World War One. Because they, well, it was a continuation well, yeah, from a let, historical yes, perspective. They, just, they, they took a pause and then went the back The victors decided to pound the crap out of Germany economically, and it was a bad idea, and they didn't make that mistake the second time with Truman. But, uh, no, that's a totally It's amazing how you, div- they you were totally unhappy. divorced we what's going on happy. in the country. I mean, the, the country well, accepted a philosophy where on. the state was superior to the individual, where individuals were expected to sacrifice to, to state interests, where the country became had to have a, a, a sort of a, an enemy to pick, and so they picked the Jews. I mean, we're, we're getting like that today, too. Oh, we've got, no, a, long way. Not, we've got yeah. a long way to go. I think well, on, on the I've got talking I've about got my direction. membership in my we liberal party. I go off and I vote for my leader. I go and participate in policy conventions. I've got all kinds of ways of accessing this government. You can't tell me that the government's dictating to me. I feel that I've got all kinds of entree with yeah, this Yeah, and what are you asking for government? You want them to raise taxes, distribute more more of the wealth, and that's just going to keep the productivity you know, Bob, of the country down and down and down. I and challenge down. you to say any time in this station that I've ever said raise taxes except once. And the time it's I said raise taxes was I said, if somebody policies. says to me that if they raise taxes but were willing to give me a Porsche in my driveway and a monster home in the burbs, then I wish they would do that. <laughs> well, on that cheery <laughs> note... Fantasy. Uh, we are going to uh, end our program today with my thanks to Bob Metz and Jeff Thank Schlemmer. You. Always a pleasure to have you two guys together. Thanks. It's always lively. And thanks to our listeners for staying with us through this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Next Wednesday, we will be back with some more discussion of uh, things that are going on in our society political with a political focus on it. Uh, the news is coming up in a moment or two. I want to tell you on the other side of the news, we are going to talk a little bit about tax policy. We have a guest who believes that the ta- current tax policy is a roadblock to our prosperity in Canada and the United States. Roger Martin will join us and talk about that, and we will be back to talk about uh, taxes and politics and stuff with Roger Martin. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Our program continues this morning in the last hour in left, right, and center. We heard Bob Metz uh, complaining about our tax structure in this company, in this country rather, and suggesting, well, not suggesting, he says rather forcefully that uh, that it is a major drain on our productivity. It threatens our uh, uh, it, it threatens our very prosperity, and in fact, it threatens the existence of our society ultimately because he believes government takes too much money away from us and does it in uh, in in effective ways and spends it uh, equally ineffectively. 
the issue of taxation in this country is a big one. It's one that's on everybody's mind, I think, all the time. Every time we're facing paying some sort of tax, uh, we, we, we uh, uh, come face-to-face with the reality that it takes a big chunk out of our earnings. But at this time of year, when some of us are starting to look ahead to uh, income tax filing, we're starting to get the little slips of paper in the mail, the uh, T4s and the other things that we get, uh, it becomes particularly apparent that uh, we pay a lot of taxes in this country. Do we pay the right taxes? Do we pay them in the right way? Uh, are there better ways to tax us if indeed we are going to agree and we seem to as a society have said yes we are prepared to be taxed and fairly heavily in fact for the services that we want but are we doing it the most effective way? Roger Martin is the Dean of the Joseph L. Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto and was recently named the uh, Chair of the Ontario Task Force on Competitiveness, Productivity and Economic Progress and he joins us this morning on the program. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Oh, my pleasure. Now, we were talking in the last hour about uh, about taxation in, in this country and about the fact that uh, while it may indeed be high, most Canadians don't seem to be too troubled by it. In a recent article you wrote in the Globe and Mail, uh, well, not actually not that recent, but an article you wrote in the Globe and Mail last fall, uh, you talked about th- the one of your concerns on, this, on the issue of tax, and that's the basic... Uh, the personal amount, which is our sort of our basic uh, exemption that we get, and you suggest there's a way to rejig that so that everybody's happy, we all have more money in our pockets, the government still has the revenues it requires, and w- we're all going to look at this, if we did it, we would all walk away saying, boy, we've finally done something meaningful about tax reform. It sounds too good to be true. How do we get all of those things into one basket? Yeah, it does sound hard to believe, doesn't it? Um, but, but it um, has to do with a, a way that we collect taxes that just is very ineffe- ineffective and inefficient. And, and that is that what we do in order to try to help the poor people of our country, which I think there's a national consensus on, we should, we should um, uh, help the people who are, who are less advantaged. In order to help them, we do something that uh, inadvertently helps the middle class and, and more well-to-do Canadians in, an, in a very unhelpful way. That is, we give them a tax break on their first uh, $7,400 of income. And because we do that, we have to take back uh, money at, uh, from their last dollars of income they earn. Now, when you say we have to do that, we have to do it if, if, if we expect the government to continue to deliver the services they're delivering at their present rate of effectiveness. Is that a fair thing to say? That's right. That's yeah. right. Right, right now, uh, uh, we collect around $80 billion of personal income tax to pay for a variety of things. And I, in this article, I'm sort of neutral on that question of what we do with the money. I just say if we want to collect that $80 billion, we do it in a way that hurts the economy the most it can, it can hurt. Now, it, it, on the face of it, we look at that and say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You're, we're saying particularly the poor in this country, we're giving them this lovely exemption on the first 7000 and change that they earn. They don't pay any tax on that. That's got to be a plus for them. That's right. But you're saying it's not a plus for them. It's, it's uh, not a plus in the following sense. Uh, after the $7,400 uh, uh, is tax-free, uh, the, the very next uh, amount they earn is, is actually taxed at quite a high rate, over 20% in Ontario. So somebody that's desperately poor, what we do is we start taxing them 
immediately after the basic personal amount. And then because we realize that they're desperately poor and that's totally unreasonable to uh, give them, uh, to take their, their money at that, at that level in income tax, uh, we then create a whole bunch of other programs for them, uh, child care, housing allowance, all, all sorts of other programs, each of which is actually means tested, which means if they earn another, another $100, those benefits are clawed back. Right. Well, that's no different than an income tax. Uh, they ask the question, of the next $100 I, I earn, how much will I get to keep? Answer is, first, about in Ontario, first 22 or $23 uh, uh, dollars comes off as, uh, as provincial income tax. Then, if each of my various means-tested programs that I, that I uh, a beneficiary of says, aha, you made a little bit more money so that you qualify for fewer benefits, that can add up to as much as another 40 or $50 out of the 100 so that they face, uh, the working poor in particular face, extremely high marginal uh, tax rates, effective marginal tax rates. Uh, now, nobody's calculated those out particularly. The government doesn't say, I'm going to tax you at, uh, at 70% more highly than the richest people in in the country uh, but that's how it ends up working out because of this system which is a very inefficient way to help poor people uh, progress now some people would look at that and say well just a simple solution raise raise the poor people's uh, BPA just put it higher for them uh, right and if you did that you'd be raising the BPA for everybody this is what in fact the alliance party interesting enough this is a one where i think there's on the right there's confusion as well as on the left so the alliance says raise it to 15,000 and if you did that you would instead of spending 20 billion dollars of foregone revenues on the on the bpa you'd spend closer to 35 billion dollars and so you'd have to grab it back in uh, uh, in other ways so Anytime we fiddle with this BPA, or indeed the leave it alone, what, what we are doing is kind of deluding ourselves into thinking we're getting a deal here. Gee, I'm getting $7,000 tax-free, but we're st- we've got to make it up somewhere. Oh, you're, you're bang on. You're exactly bang on. We think, isn't that lovely? 7400 uh, free, and isn't this lovely? We're helping the poor, but we are not actually helping the poor do the thing that we would love for them to have happened, which okay. is for them to progress out of poverty, uh, because, because progressing out of poverty means being able to save and, in, and invest, uh, buy a house, the like, and if we're ta- taxing them at a very high rate, you know, if we say, gee, in Canada, the rich don't have an incentive to work and save and invest at, at the margin, uh, because our, the tax rates are 50%. Well, the, the, the poor who are, are, are have a much harder situation actually face a higher uh, disincentive to work. So when we wonder why don't, why don't the, the uh, uh, Canada's poor, uh, you know, not the disabled, the, the fully able sure. poor, yeah. mm-hmm. progress, progress farther, don't they, have, don't they have any kind of work ethic? What, you know, what's the problem? The problem is the government actually sends a very strong message, which is if you work harder... Well, uh, then we're going to take a whole bunch of your uh, income. And it's the same lesson, and they act the same way Brian Tobin acts. All right? There's the, the same applies to uh, equalization payments. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a clawback on them. So if uh, Newfoundland becomes more wealthy as a province, 
the equalization payments that flow to them are clawed back and taken back. And it turns out that the clawback rate is about 80%. So when Inco said, we'd like to do Voices Bay, right, create Uh thousands of jobs, all sorts of economic activity, what Brian Tobin figured out is that 80% or thereabouts, that's apparently the, the calculation he made, 80% of the, of the dollars would actually flow back to Ottawa in the form of lower equalization payments, and they get to keep 20, and he said, I'm not doing it. Well, that's the same message that we're sending to our poor, and it's just not a nice thing to do. So we think in Canada that we're particularly nice and kind to our, our poor, but we're actually not let's change the focus from the poor for a moment and say you know the poor will always be with us to heck with them i'm a middle class guy what does this mean for me what this means for you as a middle class person is that is that you have a lower incentive to work save your money and invest it than you otherwise would because because we've given you the first $7,400 of your, of your income tax-free, we have to make the last dollar you earned taxed at a higher rate so that the, the middle-class person who doesn't actually want to work any harder or save or invest, you know, they're fine. Uh, they, you know, they, it's just this trade of dollars for dollars, dollars early for dollars late. For any middle-class person, and most middle-class Canadians want to work Save and invest, and make their uh, make for a better life. Buy a buy a, a a cottage, or or buy another car, or give their uh, children a chance to go to uh, to university, etc. That's what most uh, middle class Canadians want to do, and for them, it's a terrible trade. It's a terrible trade for discouragement of of additional economic activity for the first $7,400. Roger Martin is the Dean of the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, and Chair of the Ontario Task Force on Competitiveness, Productivity, and Economic Progress. But the average middle-class Ontarian, though, and correct me if I'm wrong here, my perception is that the average middle-class guy probably works in a salaried position, uh, probably takes home the same amount of money every week, uh, and if he gets a, a raise, it's going to be a modest raise. So that that the, the sort of the last dollar he earns, you know, the rate on the last dollar is probably not going to make a whole lot of impact on how he views his income. How do we convince him? How do you convince him that what this policy you're talking about actually is going to benefit him? Well, I you know I. Th- I don't think that's quite right. I think that that Ontarian often uh, often it may even though they may be on salary, they may have a bonus program or a, or some kind of program that provides incentives for doing their job particularly well. You know, this is becoming yeah. more and more more and more common. Mm-hmm. Maybe 20 years ago it wasn't as uh, as common. And so and and that and and that they are very sensitive to when they get their bonus check at the end of the year and they realize that Fifty percent of it, or forty-eight percent of it, went whoosh, immediately away to the government. They say to themselves, "Well, working harder, being more productive, figuring out how to do my job uh, better, wasn't really worth all that, yeah, uh, all yeah. that much." And so, I do think it, it that it's 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 those incentives right at the at the last economic activity we engage in that are so important. I mean, they if you just add up all Canadians and say. What incentive does every single one of them cumulatively face for working an extra minute, um, saving rather than spending, you know, investing mm-hmm. rather than consuming? That determines, in total, 
how fast our economic wheel spins, if you will. And our economic wheel is spinning less fast than the U.S. economic wheel, and it's partly because that incentive is just lower across the board. And we have to change that, I think, if we want to get the, our big economic wheel spinning faster. Roger, it's all doable. Ma Roger Martin is our guest. We're going to pause for just a moment and keep our economic wheels going here. We'll be right back with more on Talk of the Town. Roger Martin is our guest. And, Roger, we, I wish we had another half hour to do this. Unfortunately, we've only got five or six minutes. But I, I want to... I want to take the next step then. You have a proposal on how we could change this effectively. That's a pretty radical step. What do you think we should be doing here? Well, I think we should make the the BPA into a lifetime BPA, not unlike the lifetime exemption on capital gains. Mm -hmm. So rather than having a slice given every year, you give it to people over the over their lifetime uh, in, in a block so that uh, as you start your working career, the first uh, approximately $300,000 of your income would be, uh, would be completely tax-free. Mm -hmm. uh, now, why that's good is that it, for poor people, for poor Canadians, it gives them a long, long period, especially early in their career, for a decade or, or, or two or for some three, to pay no taxes. Uh, and and uh, for rich uh, people, they get early on in their career when they can use it more, that uh, exemption, and then later on, they no longer get that $7,400 on their first dollars of their income. Mm -hmm. But in exchange for that, because we're not wasting $20 billion giving a, a tax break that isn't very effective, we can lower all marginal rates so that after you reach the the uh, the top rate, you'll actually be paying at a lower rate than you would have under the current system. But if we're waiting for everybody to hit that three hundred thousand dollar or whatever the what the incremental number might be, where do the tax revenues come in the meantime when all these people aren't paying any taxes? Oh well, I mean, in a in a in a, in a steady state, uh, you don't have everybody waiting for three hundred thousand. You have most people having gone right through that that exemption already. And if we were to implement the system, you just go back and recalculate everybody's everybody's. Uh, uh, where they are in their lifetime exemption, and, and people like you or myself, uh, 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 presumably, were far enough in our careers, we would we would be we would actually be paying paying uh, paying uh, on on those first uh, dollars dollars we earn. So, so you make it totally. Then the long and short of it is, you can make it totally revenue neutral, and provide everybody in the economy, every last person in the economy, would have a greater incentive to work, save, and invest. So, and be revenue neutral. So even a guy like guys like you and me who are in the middle or towards the end of our careers, mm -hmm. we've already passed this exemption. Are we going to get any kind of uh, rebate or anything for the higher rates that we paid during that period? Well, you could just re go back and recalculate and say if this would have been in place for our entire t uh, our entire taxable lifetime, okay. what 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 should we uh, owe and. And uh, and make it make it neutral in in that respect. Like I'm no mathematician, but it seems to me if you got all the new guys, they're not paying any tax. Mm -hmm. And if you and I have been taxed too high, mm -hmm. or am I missing the point here? Is the point if we once we factor in the BPA to what you and I have paid that we've not been taxed inordinately compared to the other fella? R that that's right. The only thing we haven't been taxed inordinately, we've just been taxed in a way that dulls our incentives most. See, that's the thing. I just want to switch around the uh, the tax structure so that I can create a higher incentive to work, save, and invest for for everybody. Now, who do you it, have to get it, to listen to this thing? 
Well, I'd have to get uh, uh, you know Paul Martin and 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 finance and and the trouble here is that it goes against a classical paradigm in in taxation and and why and what the problem is for Canada is we're in a box, if you will, which is you could say. Uh, increase the incentives to work, save, and invest, all you have to do is lower the entire tax structure. Well, then we would go into a deficit because we have uh, we have a, relatively speaking, national consensus on what sort of things we should be spending yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so we can't. We're in a box that way. Um, and in fact, if, and if we raised it the other way and said, no, 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 let's start taxing those rich people more uh, so that we'll have more money to to spend on poor, well, we have the brain drain problem. We have people opting out, saying, I'm going to leave the country or I'm going to stop working or saving or investing as much as possible. So we have to get out of the box. And the the real intellectual battle, if you will, is people uh, uh, who are in control are inclined to think we can manage within the box. And I don't think we can. I think the box has become too constricting uh, for Canada. We cannot run the kind of country we want and be highly productive and have a great prosperity for the future and future generations if we stay in the box. And And that's what I'm trying to push for is it is time to think outside of that uh, that box that we've put ourselves in. Well, I suspect there are a lot of Canadians who are ready to think outside the box if it meant that our tax system was more equitable and left us with a few extra dollars and helped bring people up into the middle class from the uh, uh, from the, the working poor, because I think all of us recognize that that's not very productive for anybody, the way no. we're treating them now. No, and, and, uh, and it would make for a so much better a, a Canada. If Canada was viewed as a country on the, on the earth where, where the the poor and the young workers who are just coming into the labor market had the best chance to move forward and become middle middle class and have a better life for them and their families. It would be fabulous for for Canada to have that kind of reputation. Uh, it was indeed it would. Roger, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely fascinating. I hope we can talk again a- anytime you'd like. Take care. Okay. Bye bye now. That's Roger Martin. Uh, boy, I tell you, when I first read his proposal, it made my brain hurt. But the more you think about it, it just might work.